set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and crack it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. Hey guys, Dr. Casey Gets checking in for this episode. So before we get rolling on this week's episode, uh, I, I needed to apologize because I messed up with some of the sound issues on this week's episode. I have a fantastic guest. Uh, uh, Dr. Ted joins me. We talk a lot about endo stuff. He's an endodontist. We have a lot of really cool endodontic topics to talk about. I had the bright idea of trying to do this at a brewery um, because we could do this in person because Dr. Ted is nearby. However, uh, we kind of screwed up with, um, you know, people kept interrupting us. There are cicadas. Somebody fires up a leaf blower. The neighbor starts mowing. The radio's above. I try to do everything to, like, make it a quiet place, and it normally was. But, like, we just could not catch a break with getting a nice, quiet atmosphere somewhere to do this podcast. So long-term, eventually, I'm going to get a studio set up here at my house uh, for some of these in-person meetings. But just wanted to apologize that uh, if if the audio gets a little bit obnoxious to listen to, that's my fault that's on me. I'll uh, I'll make sure I kind of get that fixed in the future, and there's only so much I could edit out. Still definitely bearable. Still give it a listen. You guys will kind of like some of these topics on you know, pulpectomies, pulpotomies, when you do indirect pulp caps, whole range of endo topics that are really good. You just might have to... Uh, you know, deal with an occasional like leaf blower in the background. So casual. Hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. A lot of, uh, a lot of pediatric dentists will like, you know, as soon as a permanent pulp becomes involved, they like to just like chuck it to the endodontist without like thinking outside the box. Like, uh-huh. is this something that I can do? So I always told myself kind of same thing for like extractions. Like I, I extract a lot more permanent teeth than most pediatric dentists. Um, but it's just like, you know, it's, I don't do obviously like full root canals, but I'm not afraid to like get into a permanent pulp chamber and like do something if it means getting the kid out of pain or something. Cause sometimes like it takes a while to get into the endodontist and stuff, but yeah. what, uh, first of all, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, man. Thanks, Thanks for, for yeah, meeting me. Yeah. Appreciate it. What, how many, like of your new practice, what are you seeing for like kids? Like, do you see a pretty good a proportion um, of kids or like? I would say I see one or two a week and, um, and that kid being, I would classify as like 14 or younger, sure. most likely. Like yeah, for me. young teenage range. Um, which there was a time, in my so I was uh, trained in the Army. I mm-hmm. saw zero kids for eight years oh, right really? out of dental school. Um, and so it was, uh, came into private practice as an associate and just jumped in there and got got owned by kids a few times For sure, and then, yeah. like tried to stay away from them as much as I could. But do you, do I, you have nitrous I, you know, in your office? I do. You do? I do. Okay. Yeah. That's and good. it's it's a game changer. For sure. Uh but yeah, I see and I'd say seven, eight's probably the youngest is it you know on that I'm normally seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh I have seen like a five or six year old before, but that's rare. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. So like most of these you know, the one or two a week you're getting, I would assume, is a lot of it like bombed out first molars, probably. Yeah, bombed out. Y- yep, molars, 19 and 30s. And, um, yeah. Yeah, they're all, those poor teeth are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, have a lot of life to see. And yeah. They, they get off on the wrong foot. I see, and I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to get your perspective because I feel like when you're an endodontist, you know, a lot of times jumping to the root canal, nah, that's, how do I want to say it? Like, 
you guys obviously do root canals really well, so that seems to be like your frontline thing. But I, I've been progressively doing more and more second molar substitution. Like I, I did yeah. one today. This was a good one today. I had a special needs, um, like like pretty severely autistic, um, eight, almost nine-year-old, like full-on headphones, nonverbal, like earmuff headphones, you know, like I can't tolerate any sensory stuff. Um, teeth were just like bombed. And so I attended a treatment plan like possible chronopulpotomies, like vital pulp therapy on 314, 19 and 30, and then permanent stainless steel crowns. But she was so combative in clinic, even just for the exam, we had to hold her down just to get a quick look. Mom physically can't brush her teeth. Mm -hmm. So um, when we got in there today, got her sedated, cleaned her all up and took x-rays and like 19 and 30 were well into the pulp. Like, you know, you can't pulp test a kid like that, right? Yeah. So you're just like, well, you remove decay and see where it goes, but it for sure would have been at least a couple round, you know, uh, chronopulpotomy with MTA, but then you roll the dice. What if it doesn't work and you do this heroic stainless steel crown, um, you know, and it doesn't work, all of a sudden you're finding a way to do a full root canal again on another sedation and parents are paying for all this. So ultimately it's like we ended up, I ended up taking out all four six six year molars and letting the 12 years drift forward and kind of fill that space. Um, I just think she's a really, really good candidate because I could challenge most other, you know, anybody that would try to say, oh, you should save those teeth. Like I just, I would love for somebody else to be in my shoes looking at those teeth. Like what other options do you have on a kid like that? Granted, that's kind of an extreme yeah. example, you know. There's a lot of ways that can go south, like go sideways on you where, like, like you said, you had to go back and do it or they don't come back and see you and they have an abscess for three years. Right. And and then they're in a lot of trouble right down the road yeah um, but you know if, it, if it's an open apex case on a young mm -hmm. on a young kid or um, that vitality is still there pull cap away I think the research is steadily going but that's more and more okay so let's uh, talk about that let's so you know that this is another one where what they teach you in your endo course in dental school varies from what they kind of push in pediatrics because a lot of times the trend is like young kids maybe not super cooperative like you don't want to do that root canal if you don't have to so like in dental school you know in order to get a definitive diagnosis whatever you know you start removing decay um, are you into the pulp or are you not into the pulp you know you do the root canal indirect pulp cap whatever but like you know in pedo it seems like there's you know if like I don't know I feel like I've switched my mindset where I say I can always do the root canal later but sometimes you know, is there is there anything wrong with trying to stop short of the pulp and do an indirect pulp cap or maybe do a small direct pulp cap or maybe do a chronopulpotomy with MTA or something like that mm -hmm. versus doing the full root canal, you know? And I, I don't know if you've seen enough of these come back to sway one way or the other versus what kind of outcomes you're seeing or mm -hmm. if it just depends on maturity yeah. of the tooth or what um, you see. So if you followed uh, an indirect pulp cap or a pulp cap, or uh, a pulpot partial, partial pulpotomy, mm -hmm. and you see that patient 20 years later, um, doing a root canal then is a real challenge because of all the calcification mm -hmm. that occurs, that reaction of the pulp tissue. Sure, it sure. Just, it constricts, um, and I've run into some real nightmares there. Um, but uh, as far as indirect versus directly just going in there and getting it out, I think mm -hmm. you're better off to get all that decay out. Mm -hmm. um, if you can control the bleeding of that tissue, then I, you should be able to get them a long time comfort in that tube. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of our studies show 
like we talk about MTA. There's mm-hmm. a lot of other bioceramic materials. Are you a, what do you now. what tends to be your go-to bio? I like uh, that Brassler endo sequence root repair material. Okay, is use. that like is that that's not BC putty, is it? It's it's like BC similar. Putty. Right? And there's a there's several different companies that make it now. The patents up on that. Okay. It's easy to work with an MTA, sure. and it doesn't stain teeth. That's nice. Like MTA. Yeah. Um, Studies show the most important thing is that it's sealed and there's no micro leakage. It sure. doesn't really matter what you put in there as long as that restoration is not, you know, you keep bacteria out of there, mm-hmm. then there's a good chance, especially in a young patient, that their pulp space is going to be able to to bridge that. Okay. Create that didn't bridge. Makes calcify. Sense. So, um, so going back to what you had said about, you know, you see that patient 20 years later, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you is there a reason do you find a lot of them need to have treatment 20 years later or it can sometimes that MTA coronapulpotomy if everything's sealed maybe it gets a crown on it and stays asymptomatic does that wind up being definitive treatment a lot of times and the and the tooth turns into a block of wood and the pulp shrinks to nothing but like how often do you actually need to do a root canal or so that that is a hard one for me to answer because the patients that I'm seeing are mm-hmm. the ones that are having the issues. I don't get to see those oh, sure. patients that, oh, that looks great, right. it's fine, no issue. Um, so all the ones I'm seeing, they've been screened by their general dentist or pediatric dentist, right. and oh, there's pain, there's a lesion that's developed, mm-hmm. this, this needs a root canal or something done with it. So I don't get to see all the successful ones. Sure. Um, so I can't give you a definitive. Well, no, that's okay. That's an honest well, answer because I, I mean you're appreciating your own uh, unique biases mm-hmm. to what you're seeing. I guess you know. Mm-hmm. What about like for indirect pulp caps? Say, do you, um, you know, I've seen studies before that shows different types of dentists, different specialists, their mm-hmm. degree of how much decay they remove. And like, just like what you would think, pediatric dentists remove the least and endodontists <laughs> remove the most. You know, uh-huh. which just is like yeah. product of your training makes sense. Uh-huh. You know, but. Um, I'm curious, you know, are there plenty of times where you get referred some large decay and you start removing, you know, maybe it tests like kind of irreversible symptoms, so you start removing decay and, you know, you find up or you wind up, you know, you get really soft, like the mushy, fluffy stuff out of there, get really clean margins, and then maybe you just got a little of like that little, like slightly darker leathery type dentin on the floor. Do you still find yourself, do you ever find yourself or how often do you find yourself shopping stopping short and if so what are you placing there over the pulp to kind of call it a direct pulp indirect pulp cap instead so it has been i don't think i've done an indirect pulp cap as an endodontist oh, really so that should answer your, <laughs> so your funny. question so yes <laughs> yeah i'm on that aggressive sure yeah removal, it makes sense uh regimen but uh and a lot of what dictates that decision point for me is how close am i to the pulp you know right. it's we're kind of guessing a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. You know, we think it's right there. We think it's right there, and um, it's it's hard to measure remaining dentin thickness. Right. You can't you can't. Do well, that, in your so. defense too, going back to the type of patients you're getting, most of the patients I assume getting referred to you are probably pretty obvious root canals. Like mm-hmm. the decay is obviously right there. You know, yeah. the ones that the decay there's an obvious dentin bridge are probably getting restored and not mm-hmm. sent to you. I would assume, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, exactly. So yeah, um, yeah. I I am pretty aggressive on on getting it out of there. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of times, and, and this is you know younger, you know teenagers, they're going to get a crown on. You know, they're getting to that age where they can get a permanent crown on something now, and yeah, they may have a large decay in the tooth, close, approximating you know the nerve space, 
And uh, a lot of dentists, they want you to take the risk out of them prepping us too. Sure. Is this going to be symptomatic afterwards? That's what they're trying to avoid right. a lot of times. Right. So the, some of these root canals we do are preventative to mm. prevent that from happening. Right. Um, and uh, so that's just kind of, there's, there is, there's, between the specialties, there's some difference there, right? Some difference okay. There, so. so let's say that you're going to have, you have a good case for apexogenesis, which seems to be you know, a lot of these references I'm saying for patients that you and I send back and forth, um, it's a lot of like, you know, eight to 10 year olds that like have fairly immature, like six year molars or whatever. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe they're good candidates for apexogenesis cause they've got an open apex. Like if you're doing apexogenesis, walk me through your, um, your order of operations for, because obviously, you, I assume you do that sometimes, or you know, because it's yeah. easier to do a root canal if you can let the apex close and maybe do it later. So, let's pretend you got one of these kids. So let's say the situation is like, is say it's like an eight or nine year old kid and number nineteen has large caries, reversible type symptoms. Um, you get in there and remove decay, and you have like a pulp exposure. You know, walk me through how you do like your, you know, your pulpotomy to like get apexogenesis to occur and how you follow it up what type of material you use like walk me through that type of case yeah so I'm if I'm gonna do a partial pulpotomy I'm, I'm really looking at the bleeding what's the tissue telling me? right and I'm looking at it with a micro microscope you know sure. and, I, and I don't want to use epi or any chemicals to try to get hemostasis I want to see with a pellet with nothing in it is it still bleeding you okay I take that out so I want to be able to control that because that's going to kind of roughly tell me what level of inflammation is in that tissue. Sure, still. sure. Um, but once I get that, then uh, in a in a molar, I'm probably going to do a full pulpotomy. Okay, of, most of the time. Yep, it's easier to control bleeding. Right. Um, when you just take it down to that small work. I would say most pediatric dentists are huh. probably just going to do just because, like, with our primary pulpotomies. You just remove the whole coronal mm -hmm. portion of the pulp and then yeah. place your medicament and go. Yeah. So I think just by habit, that's probably consistent mm -hmm. there. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and I will, I'll irrigate with with bleach, sodium hypochlorite. Okay. I'm okay, I'm okay with doing that. And so then you just, just kind of irrigate to, the coronal portion just mm -hmm. to clean out any little yep. bits of tissue. And then get hemostasis. Uh, once it's dry, um, I use my endosequence repair material, just pack it down. Pack it in there. And then I like to put, I use BC liner. Um, oh, okay. It's a newer material. It's uh, kind of like a resin modified glass on or liner of some sort, yeah, like a dual it, cure. Um, it is. It's dual cure, which is what I like about it, because a lot of times down in the chamber, you can't cure things. Sure. Like very well. Yep. Uh, I use the blue material so that dentist can see it i think i've no seen idea. that a couple yeah. of years i actually so really it's it's appreciated because like especially if you send a kid back to put a core in something uh -huh. it's nice to know like you know me removing a temporary and dinking around in there that those orifices are all sealed off and mm -hmm. nothing's going to get down yeah, in so there. i'll cover the orifices and the you know cham the chamber floor sure with that blue bc liner okay and, and temporize um but yeah that it's pretty pretty much simple. So that's and your coronal pulpotomy. Then talk to me about follow-up as far as, you know, at that point, you know, large decay on our number 19 scenario. Do you send the kid to get a stainless steel crown or maybe it, like mm -hmm. go ahead, get full coverage at that point? Yes. So if they're old enough to get a, a permanent crown, great. If it's a stainless steel, if they're young enough, right. You know, that's, I, like I said, the most important thing is to keep bacteria out of there. So sure. I don't want some resin in there that's chipping out. Yeah, and, and, and he can left and right. Can left and right. Yeah, yeah. Cover that thing up. 
and everything will be more successful that way. Um, and you know, follow up. I would do unless they have pain or symptoms. You know, obviously they call right away. But you know, six months, a year afterwards, yeah. you can check them and kind of see how the health of the tissues are looking. Yeah. Um, Sorry about the interruption. We're trying to do this podcast at a brewery because now that we're doing things in person. But classically, the guy like we got like cicadas and rock music and a guy with a, um, a what like a leaf blower. So okay, so we were talking about. Um, follow-up care for coronal pulpotomies and you walked us through like your sequence and then you know seals the deal get a good crown on that tooth or get it sealed off do you um do you find jeez, uh, we can't get away from the noise um, so my question was do you ever consider going back in and doing a full root canal or do you find that there's a need to or do you, you know, because that this kind of situation ends up being that block of wood, you know, tough to do root canal twenty years from from now, uh -huh. or is that just kind of like comes with the territory of going about this way, you know? Yeah, I think it's just part of the business. Part um, of it. I have not had to go back and treat any of the ones I've done. That's and good. That's a, yeah, the N is very low on on for sure on that study there, but uh, <laughs> no, it makes sense. Um, so yeah, I haven't had to do it, but I. Uh, I spent a, in the military. I spent a year in Korea, and we would work on Korean soldiers. And their dental care is completely different over there. They do a lot of pulpotomies and crowns mm -hmm. on adults all the time. And so I, I had a fair number of cases. I was trying to treat cases, you know, these these teeth that would become problems down the road. And I don't know, fifty-fifty on whether I could get down the roots or not. Oh, really? So, so actually, this is a good thing to bring up. Tell me about um, your training, because I, I can't remember the details, but yeah. dental school, and I know you're in the military and your residency, but just to get listeners caught up, what, what did that look like again? Yeah, so I went to school at UMKC, uh, and then went straight into the Army um, scholarship program. I did an AGD, and that's kind of where I fell in love with doing endo, because mm -hmm. I hated it in dental school. Right, right. It was like many hoops to jump through um, and then so I was a general dentist for three years before I started in the army in the army okay uh, before I started in a program gotcha uh, in Augusta Georgia Fort Gordon so how many total years did you end up putting in uh, eight years eight years did you really eight years Dang. Yeah. nice so, um, but yeah no it was it was good I got to get out of Missouri for a while and, uh, so then did you when did you finish endo residency or what set of years did you do uh, I got out of Indo residency in 2014. 2014. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, you associate? Did you associate like in the St. Louis area here for a while before starting up your own practice? Then uh, I did. So 2017 was when I was officially out of the army, uh -huh. and I, I was an associate for a couple of years. Practice. Yep. Uh, and then just you know, last May opened up. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you and practice. I were pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ed. You were in May and I was in like October, so. Okay. Um, well, that kind of gives people perspective. So you've been, you know, it's nice that you've, I have a new appreciation now for owning your own practice and the ability to like follow up some of the stuff you do. Cause you know, prior to me owning practice, you know, in residency and everything else, you know, you think Trying of a new way. Yeah, try different things. And <laughs> yeah. then, but then that patient disappears, then you move and you never get to see the follow up. So, yeah. and it's little things like, like for me, sealants is like a big one because there's a billion different ways to do sealants. And the literature 
kind of supports just about whatever route. Do you use a bond or do you not use a bond? What kind of material? Everybody swears by doing it a little differently. You know, do you air braid? Do you what? And so I've tried all these different ways, and I now finally am just on the cusp of starting to see like some of the things that I'm doing are they working or are they not working that's kind of nice you've had a number of years yeah to you know in the army it's funny we used to joke about what we called geographical success right uh, I was never stationed anywhere more than two years uh, I guarantee you patients I had during those two years were moving during those two years right. so you never saw the same people all the time so mm-hmm. getting that follow-up sometimes you had to call somebody halfway around the world and say I've got a patient that's stationed there mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna have him call you and can you get a follow-up radiograph for me? Um, so it was challenging to see what your cases are doing, which the great part about private practice is you know what's successful and what's not right. really quickly. Right, know. yeah. I don't know, it's a it's trade-off, but I, I don't know. If, I talk a lot about like startups on these podcasts because that's what I'm really into, but this startup thing's pretty cool. Like, yeah. you know, it's different from you doing it on an endo point of view, I guess, but I know you and I had like the same builder and kind of started up in that like COVID era of sorts yes. so which is like we're kind of a unique class there but now that the dust is kind of settled like it's pretty cool being able to like be really in control and steering the ship of like how you want to practice and how you want to call the shots where you don't have to listen to a higher power telling you what materials you can and can't use and how to do things like it's pretty cool yeah I spend a significant amount of my time like trying new files and new systems right like I'm spending my money on like I'm always honing like how I how I do my art. You sure, know? sure. Um, and previously, I always felt a guilt if I was spending somebody else's money right. to try all these things. Um, so that's nice. If I want to do something, I just do it. Let me tell you about this new thing that I've been doing, endo related. So I don't know. I doubt you would guess you don't do these a lot, but like um, pulpectomies on like A J K and T. That's like a big thing where if a if a tooth is like you know, restorable and the kids not having like, you know, um, if it's not, I don't know, there's various criteria. I should be able to rattle these off with like oral boards, but like if a, if a primary second molar is a good candidate for pulpectomy and you'd like to save the tooth to prevent space loss, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of doing a pulpotomy, um, you do a pulpectomy where say you, you get in there and you remove the coronal pulp and it's still bleedy, you know, um, radiographically looks sound. There's no resorption, there's no mobility, tooth uh, restorable, all those good things. Patients not, you know, blown up abscess, it's good tooth to do a pulpectomy on, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you pretend you're an endodontist again, you get your little files out and mm-hmm. twiddle away and it always takes forever. Um, <laughs> I, I bought on, uh, eBay, like a hundred dollar little, like cheapo knockoff Chinese rotary handpiece, like cordless okay. handpiece. And I just bought some like cheap little, like throwaway rotary files. And I've been like pretty impressed at how well it's worked. Like, you know, it's not like it's a thousand dollar rotary thing, but you're also not doing root canals. Like I pull it out, you know, once every couple weeks, but you know, I, I'll access it and I'll kind of get a bleach pellet in there just to kind of clean the chamber out. And then I'll take like my little two round burr and blip the canals. So I kind of have a bit of an access, you know, mm-hmm. and then snake a brooch, snake a 15 file. And then like, as long as I feel good that I've like found the canal, I'll just turn that like rotary on and zip it back and forth. And it cuts like, you know, cause obviously you're not really determining working length. You're just getting the bulk of the tissue out, getting it dry. Then we put in like a Vitapex, like a calcium uh-huh. hydroxide iodoform paste. Uh-huh. But um, my long winded way of saying like, I was kind of proud that I thought of this, like this cheapy idea actually is really, really effective from what yeah. I've seen. If you can do that, if you can do a pulpectomy on a primary tooth, and mm-hmm. you're well on your way to becoming an endodontist. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. Do you that. ever, do, do people ever send you referrals for like pulpectomies um, on primary it's, teeth? It is very rare. Not very often. Um, 
you know, it's because they don't have the succedaneous tooth is not coming in and they're trying to maintain what they have. And, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I've done two or three. Two or three. You do, you have, do you have a comb beam in your office? I do. Do you, I do you take Marita. Do you take a fair amount of them like on challenging teeth or like on a lot of molars? Do you tend to Yes, to do so uh, any retreat, um, I take it on to mm -hmm. see if there's missed canals or mm -hmm. what's going on. Uh, if I'm going to do an Apico on the, oh, on the sure. tooth, I do those all the time. Uh, resorption cases. I don't know if, how many resorption cases you see in pediatric not office. A, not a ton. Man, they are proliferating like crazy. Um, I did a external resorption repair on a 14-year-old today. Really? Um, just bomb. Just looked like decay almost, bomb. but it was just it was, the whole tooth was eaten up all the way around the pulp chamber. Wow. Kind of crazy. Um, traumas. I'll take them to see if there's any alveolar root fractures or, or any fractures. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's my like, get out of jail card. I. You know, sometimes I'm not seeing an eight-year-old. I'm seeing an 85-year-old. Right. And, um, you know, it's through a crown, and I can't find the pulp chamber or any canals, or I'm halfway down the route, and I still don't have a canal. Mm -hmm. And I'll just stop the procedure and take a comb beam and say, hey, where am I at? Where yeah, do yeah. I need to go? Get Is there even anything here right. for me to find? Right. Um, so it it, um, it keeps me out of trouble. So yeah. I'm a big fan. That's of cool. I think so, too. It's it's That's, like, my next step if... if um, or kind of the reason I like having an endodontist like yourself to send kids to because obviously I don't, there's no way I could ever financially justify getting a combi in, in my office, you know, and I don't do a lot of ortho stuff or anything like that. So mm -hmm. it's nice to have somebody that, like if I'm looking at something that looks weird, nice to be able to send that to. I was gonna ask, did, did you end up, sorry, did you end up seeing that uh, that one kid today, that the one kid we were talking about? Because I thought that'd be um, a good case I was gonna talk about here. My office manager was talking with the mom yesterday, I think. I haven't seen them yet. Haven't but, seen them yet? Uh, okay. There's some insurance. Finance stuff. They are, they are well, coming. and so that's why this is such a good case study to talk about because it highlights how some of these endotopics are tough in pediatric dentistry. So background to this case, then you tell me how, I think oh. I know the answer to how you would have approached this different, but you know, I've got a, a family, mom is dual insured. She has primary Delta, secondary Medicaid. And since I'm in network with both, it's great because mom doesn't have any out-of-pocket payments with me, which is great. I still get reimbursed well. She's got options because she has Delta, but um, obviously the income threshold is lower because they're on Medicaid. So her kiddo, really good kid. I think he's 15, um, number 19. You know, we had a bunch of cavities, hadn't been in the dentist in years. We got everything fixed up except 19 was kind of a bear cat because it had like really large decay on it. Um, like distal buccal cusp was broken off. Um, and the tooth was like mostly reversible symptoms to cold tested it tested vital um but seemed okay for the most part at the time so i treatment planned it for a permanent stainless steel crown just knowing it's way too big to put a composite or something in but obviously mature tooth because the kid's 15. so um did the block got in um from what i can even remember because at the time it seemed like everything went really smooth but i got a big round burr cleaned up the margins um, the decay easily, if I, in retrospect, I kind of wish I would have done the coronal pulpotomy from the get-go if I would have done more like complete caries removal, mm -hmm. but I didn't. I stayed a little bit short, um, left a little bit of decay right where the, near the pulp was at because I knew if this kid ended up needing a root canal, this mom was going to have to like follow up in a way that was going to be harder for her financially. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I, you know, got my decay out, then I prepped it for a stainless steel crown, got a really good fitting stainless steel crown. Kiddo goes on his way, and then a month later, mom calls. He's starting to have pain. I see him back in. Um, you know, 
obviously at that point you can't really pulp test. Kind of mixed symptoms for the pulp, but just progressively got worse. So he ended up coming in last week and kind of just determined he's having like pretty severe, um, like you can't even call it irre- irreversible pulpitis because it's been treated, but like a symptomatic apical periodontitis. So, you know, he's just having symptoms. He needs a root canal. Yeah. So I ended up accessing, and this is where I say like I try to not be too shy of the pulp, but um, first time I've had to do this, but I ended up accessing through the window, like the roof of my own stainless steel crown. I miraculously found the pulp chamber. I felt like, even though it's probably not that hard, I was like, <laughs> man, my bearings are kind of off. Like, I hope I don't perf this thing like dental school style, but got in and removed coronal pulp tissue, um, got good bleeding, got, you know, hemostasis, bleach pellet, you know, kind of killed the bacteria. Then I filled it up with IR, um, or I actually just put a couple cotton pellets filled it up with Fuji mm-hmm. triage. So, and then, yeah. and sending him the kid to you. Yeah. Well, this is like where the story continues because now the mom, you know, she's upside down on all of her credit cards and he has no money because now like every other endodontist in the whole world, endodontists just don't take Medicaid and it just mm-hmm. is what it is. And I a hundred percent get it. So now this mom's got, you know, which her insurance coverage is still really good. Mm-hmm. She only needs to pay like a couple hundred bucks for the whole root canal. But like now we're kind of in the pickle where she's like, like finances are in the way, but the kid's having all this pain again. And I just feel so bad. And I'm like, damn, what could I have done differently? Yeah. And I, I think retrospectively removing more decay and trying the coronal pulpotomy with MTA from the get go mm-hmm. is what I would have, could have, tr- w- wish I kind of should have done. But I don't know that yeah. one. I've just I've lost would, a little yeah. sleep over that you one. You and I both wish we had perfect hindsight all the time. Right, looking forward that crystal ball. It's just that's the way it goes. But he, you, I mean, the best thing you can do is be honest. And you went back in and you know mm-hmm. gave more treatment. So yeah, I mean, you can't lose sleep about that. Right, you can do try what you to have do. good good line of communication um, with the mom. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, they were wanting to find some an endodontist that want that took Medicaid. Um, and Medicaid, I've looked at their reimbursement. Uh, it's probably been a year, mm-hmm. and like for like a molar root canal, and it's like two hundred and eighty dollars or something like that. That's laughable. Which I, uh, you know, being a new practice owner, I've you know a year, not quite a year and a half yet, but it's like okay, straightforward root canal, or I don't use five thousand files, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get down a calcified case, but straight straightforward normal root canal. It's going to cost me between three and four hundred dollars by Just the time in. I think about staff and rent and practice loan and all that oh, stuff, and, and in addition to the disposables, right? Um, and so it's just like you, your heart—if your heart's big—you're like, I, you want to help these people. But at the mm. same time, you know, when you're a million dollars in debt, whatever it Dude, is, I love, you're like, oh man, I love a that bad business decision. I love that you're thinking about it from that mm-hmm. standpoint because a lot of guys that aren't owners don't think about, you know, a lot of guys don't know. What's the, the joke is like McDonald's knows what they spend on a sesame seed, you know, yeah. like a lot of dentists yeah. have no idea what is even the cost just yeah. to set up your tray and to do. For you, it's nice because the handful of procedures you do, you can really get it dialed in. You know exactly what you're mm-hmm. going to spend for a root canal. And I have a spreadsheet in the office that's like just to set up an op tray, get a kid numb and like have everything ready to go. Nitrous nose and everything costs like 22 bucks or something, yeah. you know, the yeah. whole kit. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, you start, it, it's nice to like think to yourself is this am i even making any money is this worth my time and you know and to your point there's a reason endodontists don't see medicaid so you try Mm -hmm. to prep those parents and this actually goes back to a bigger question that was a hot topic on a pedo page like a pedo dentistry Uh page um i brought it up and i kind of got like pinched on this question by a lot of people but you know sometimes parents will come to me because i do see medicaid for like for kids at least mm-hmm. and uh say well you know a lot of parents are dual insured in our area because you and i practice the same area you know a lot of middle class working families they work at toyota plant and have delta 
but you know they don't make enough where they, they qualify for Medicaid. So it's great because they have really good coverage for everything. But then a lot of parents will be like, well, do we even need to be paying for this work dental insurance like Delta if Medicaid, you know, if you accept Medicaid? And um, I finally have thought of a good response to that. But the answer is like, no, technically you don't need to have Delta because you, know, you can still see us and things are covered. But in cases where you need to go see an endodontist, you need some wisdom teeth taken out, you know, you need a specialist procedure, you could get pinched because like all of a sudden, you know, you can't yeah. find a spe another specialist who's yeah. a network like I am. So yeah. I, I bring that up a lot. Yeah, no, it's the financial discussions with patients are the hardest sure. part of practice, I think. And I hate to talk about money, so I've got great staff to take care of that You, you punch it off, right? Yeah. You know, I hope, yeah. hopefully you're doing the same thing, Casey. But Most part, yeah. Um, yeah. But like with, with that same case you're talking about, we eventually got them on the books because we told them we would take payments. Good, basically. that's wonderful, if yeah. If we could do that, then they were willing to come in and do the Make it work. Copay. And I don't yeah. know what the copay was going to be, but yeah. it wasn't Nothing terrible. Crazy. But, um, you know, it's, and I don't like to do that a lot because, first of all, I don't like to have those financial conversations, like I just said. Sure. But I'm not a banker. I'm not doing credit scores. I've got to, you know, if somebody, if a bunch of people start not paying, I've got to go through collection agencies and, you know, it's just opens a whole bag of worms. 100%, so, yep. And for my patients, I'm not seeing them every six months for mm -hmm. a cleaning and checkup. I see them one time typically. Mm -hmm. and it's it. So that's probably a little different take from my situation bit, yeah. versus yours. Right. But, you know, in those hard situations, we will, you know, make situations. And I, uh, and sometimes we'll do pro bono stuff. We'll do discounts mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So, um, you know, easier like we have a good month and you're really busy you're like okay mm -hmm. this person's hurting and let's just take care of this person you know and right and that's okay so i think in our first year i calculated up uh back in may i had done thirty thousand dollars for the free work dude good for year. you so that's pretty like, awesome i was like i wonder how many we've done because we're, we're doing it here and there here uh -huh. and there and you just you don't keep track of the numbers you just well, kind of lose track of it and i was like the track of it you yeah. know i feel like you know, I didn't go to church as much because of COVID. <laughs> I know I certainly didn't put any money in the offering plate. But yeah. You're building a little good karma. Some giving, right? you know, let's just, I have done some giving. Yeah. And, you know, so that's, that's something as a practice owner that you can do whenever you want to. For as well, sure. That's which, a freedom. Which is one of the things I love the most about it. Like, Or if you have a root canal that goes sideways and needs to be extracted, and you can refund them without mm -hmm. tiptoeing to your boss and asking permission for stuff like that. For sure. You know? Man, that's great. Yeah, that's something you don't have the freedom to do if you uh, answer to somebody else, you know, as an associate mm -hmm. or something. So that's pretty cool. Man, I, uh, I, I'm interested, you know, the more, because you're a young practice owner too, you know, it's, you keep learning all these things that you didn't know initially and that you don't get mm -hmm. taught in the dental school or the army or residency and things. But, you know, it's, um, I've had a lot of good conversations on the podcast with different pediatric dentists doing startups. So I'm very familiar with the pedo world, but, you know, it's, it'd be, it's interesting getting your take from an endo perspective i know endo has a reputation for being the low overhead one because you know like how you have what two or three employees right now um i actually have four four just down from five we uh we were just it's it a covid mm -hmm. we just had a crazy crazy year and just blew up well that's a benefit you for know, you covid's been good for endodontists it has, right? it yeah has, yeah so, um but yeah i think we're i think four is four keeps everybody working really hard mm -hmm. including myself five keeps me working ridiculously hard mm -hmm. and my staff not as much gotcha. so it's like finding that happy medium walking the line four yeah. and a half would be the perfect number but 
So how are you at your office in Wentz, Wentzville here? Are you four days a week, five days a yeah, week? Yeah, four days a week. Four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are, you know, I, I, things I know a little about, you know, what does your typical day look like with, um, you know, getting referrals and things? How many patients are you seeing? What, what comprises most of your day? Um, so typically I schedule about an hour for each patient. Um, if it's a surgery or a retreatment, I may add 15 or 30 mm-hmm. minutes to it. Um, we try to hold one, at least one appointment open every day for an emergency. For you sure. Somebody that's, you know, holding an ice pack on their face mm-hmm. and they want to be seen right now or right. they're swollen. Uh, you need to see them right away. So we try to do that. It's not always possible because, you know, you know, sometimes we're booked out three weeks and, and it's hard to squeeze those emergencies in. Right. But I work out of three chairs. Um, and so that allows me to double book patients too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if I have like a number eight on a 25-year-old and I have an emergency, emergency is going right next to that one. That mm-hmm. number eight should not take me more than 30 minutes. Right. To, pretty know, quick, and, yep. and patients that are have a hot tooth, they need to sit and be numb for 30 minutes anyway. Right. So it's like if I can numb two people up at the same time, that's that's cool. Yeah. That, that works for me. Nice. Um, and so I, you know, I see probably 10 to 12 patients a day. Mm-hmm. Um, number of root canals i do or complete i probably complete six or seven on an average day any given day um and start a few other retreatments or mm-hmm. cases we medicate and see a consult or two but gotcha um but it's it's a busy day sure sure that's pretty cool you know for not you know and that's a similar trajectory to you know being us for those who i didn't update here um ted and i practice in like the same geographic type area but you know the nice thing about our growing area and it's just high carries risk population i feel like endless amounts of cavities to do so we both have been like super busy the first year and a half out or whatever which is pretty cool but i'm trying to think you know as we kind of wrap up like what are there any other like peds cases that you see a lot of or stuff that you see like relevant to obviously the big bombed out six-year molars seem Mm -hmm. to be most the endo stuff i get um i've had a couple weird like i had a kiddo i think i sent to you who you know, like was a, a bad grinder, a lot of attrition and ground through like a number 24, 25, and then incidentally found it, you know, asymptomatic, but like on a pantomograph, like it looks like a little periapical lesion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I even pulp test. I think I just sent to you, but ended up being just, you know, and that I feel like sometimes you get like weird idiopathic type, you know, yeah. To you just um, decide to die on you. Yeah. Know. Um, dins and vaginitis, dins, evaginitis. Mm-hmm. You see those in younger kids, you know, um, that's you know a non-carious or you know it's a bacterial exposure but you're sure. like, where's the decay in this tooth where's why is this tooth got a big lesion on it right and you look you can see the little folds of enamel on the mm-hmm. PA. see some of those um trauma i think the kids it's bombed out molars and it's trauma trauma so, yeah um, are you doing any um like do you or did you train and do any sort of decoronation type procedures if for ankylosing? Um, well versed in it, never done one. Never done one. Um, yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting, and I think um, you know when you have that kid that comes to you with a tooth that's out of their mouth for mm-hmm. twenty four hours, right? And probably you're not going to put it back in, but if it's two hours or three hours, you're probably going to stick that tooth back in, mm-hmm. um, and that tooth's going to resorb or ankylose and. It's going to be the short tooth very soon, right? And uh, you know, I think I think that's a good way to keep that that bone there for for future as long as possible. Know, sometimes, yeah. And you have to 
have that conversation with parents and patients. It's like sometimes we're just trying to get you to your twenties. Sure, right. And with this situation, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Yeah, like an implant's inevitable. What what can we do to buy yeah. time? How can yeah. we get bone here? How yeah. can we, you know, make you yeah. not look like a hockey player for right, right. for ten years or whatever it is? But, you know, uh, I did two decornations in residency, and what's funny in in Pete's residency. You take all these calls and you get all these crazy trauma cases because you're kind of the epicenter of where all the trauma in your state or whatever winds up. And it's funny because, um, you know, you get this impression that you're constantly going to be dealing with trauma all the time. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't think I've been – I mean, I've had some trauma, but I haven't had anything, like, outrageous, like – broken fracture splinting i haven't had to splint since being out of residency so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like when you're a little kid you're worried about quicksand and you realize when you get older it's not that big of a you know it's like a silly analogy you're worried about as a kid yeah but it's really not so but anyways i did two of these decornations and i didn't personally do them but kind of like treatment planned and got a consult and i had one done by uh an endo resident one done by a perio resident but kind of the same general theme like trauma like a bit of i think it was avulsions both of them or maybe like an in, mm-hmm. an intrusion or something but yeah. tooth ended up you know resort resorbing and had real short clinical crown and just having issues so mm-hmm. they both just like chopped off the coronal portion of the enamel and kind of dug out like the socket i think the endo one they you know and that's that's kind of where my knowledge falls apart is does it make sense to go in and like try to clean out the you know the canal of the tooth and like you know, try to sterilize it or put like some sort of, you know, um, I don't know what you would put in it and then suture a membrane the over way it. way that I would do, I wouldn't, I would just, um, if there's, if it's treated already, get the gutta perch out, mm-hmm. you know, um, and calcium hydroxide. Just some calcium hydroxide. It's going to go away, but. Would you put something, you know, because I, I think, well, if they're chewing food, they're just going to pack food in that tooth and get it infected or something. Would you try to get, you know, yeah, suture I mean, over I'm, it or I'm do I'm going down, you're going, you're at the bone level, you're right way down in there. Um, they should clop over that, but I mean, oh, okay. I don't think a membrane is a bad idea either. If you can get one keep, in there. Keep it clean. Right. So. Okay. You know, it's funny. It seems like, uh, like I said, I haven't had one of these cases, but the day's going to come where I'll have an idea case, ideal mm-hmm. case, and the kid's just going to be like a wild animal in the chair, and it won't end up working out, yeah. you know. From my perspective, they're all wild animals <laughs> in, in the chair. So my heart is out to all you pediatric kids oh, right. that, that can do this, because when I see those, see an eight-year-old on a schedule, my my blood pressure goes up 20 points a little I, bit I, I promise you that <laughs> okay so last kind of like trauma thought here too uh-huh. um and it said i've got to kind of jog my memory because i haven't had a case like this in recent times but it seems like a frequent endo topic that gets brought up with these trauma cases you know no eights and nines wow. is like when does it make sense to like consider for a root canal and you can pick any case whether it's like an intrusion, an extrusion, um, a lateral luxation, and you re, uh-huh. you know splint it back in. But let's say the tooth wasn't avulsed. Like if the tooth is avulsed, uh-huh. it's a little bit more cut and dry because there's guidelines to follow. You mm-hmm. know, if it's under an hour, wide open apex, yep. you know, and the tooth yeah. was kept clean in milk. Say you get it back in, you splint it, like maybe some antibiotics or something. The tooth's probably going to be healthy and be okay. But avulsions aside, if it's an intrusion or uh, like an alveolar fracture, seems to be what a lot of them are. Yeah. You know, then. I don't know. My 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 personal experience seems to be more along the lines of let's like get the kid back in, you know, at one week and two mm-hmm. week and four weeks, and take a big series of radiographs. And as soon as we start to see something, like maybe we see a little internal resorption, like because they never pulp test right, then at that point immediately endodontist and root canal. So from your perspective, do you like to be more proactive and do the root canal from the um, get go, or how do you approach those? I, I, I'm probably more conservative, honestly. Right. Um, 
my advice to your, your listeners and to you would be um, the guidelines. Um, I don't. I have the guidelines on my desktop. Mm-hmm. I do trauma, but I'm like I don't know the exact step for everything. I haven't sure. long since has gone out of my brain. But, <laughs> right. Um, so like AAE.org, they have free trauma guidelines. Mm-hmm. What's the injury? What are the follow-ups? Everything. It's just it's it's idiot proof. You can do it. And then there's um, the International Association of Dental Trauma has its own guidelines too. So mm-hmm. it's got, I think it's called Trauma, Dental Trauma Guide. Yep. yep. So those are two resources free. Click on there. It will, pictures, it shows you exactly what to do, the fo- all the follow up things as well. Okay. Um, I will lean towards being more aggressive on a tooth with a closed apex. Okay. The more substantial the injury, Closed apex. Let's do the root canal. Gotcha. Let's not allow an infection to establish. Okay. You know, if it's an open apex, I'm a lot more conservative. Can it? Can that revascularize? Can it heal? Uh, can we get continued root formation and decrease the risk of fracture mm-hmm. in the future? That's what our hope is. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I actually have a few that I'm following up on the on those timelines. I have a feeling we're going to be doing three root canals in two weeks. Just Probably. Because, yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and the guidelines tell you you're looking for two signs of necrosis. It's either it could be pain, it could be you know radiolucency, uh, lack of response to a cold test. So you're you're not basing it off of any one you know test or or thing that you're looking clinical symptom that you're right. looking at. So uh, yeah, more conservative with open apex, more aggressive as the tooth is more mature. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, and I I think um, it seems like in residency when this was more of a common issue. A frequent finding would be like trauma and it gets complicated by the fact that maybe the parent drove in a long ways they're not local mm. they don't have good follow-up they're not reliable and you kind of try to explain to them like you know we can give this kiddo the benefit of the doubt and see if the tooth stays healthy but like if we start seeing you know signs of abscess or it starts to you know become necrotic or it seemed like resorption was the one i see a lot of uh-huh. like internal resorption like we need to do the root canal right away but then like the parent you know it just goes over the head it's not bothering the kid they don't follow up they fail the follow-up appointment and then you know tooth's gone, tooth's gone. they come back in like a year later and there's no root left or it's yeah. enclosed or whatever yeah and uh, I, I, I definitely in the last year had a case like that where i was being more conservative and and in a three-week period resorption set in to an unbelievable degree like mm-hmm. yeah unbelievable crazy so that's a hindsight I wish I had. You Just know, done the root which ones do I need to be more aggressive yeah, on? Right. Uh, that's the science and art of it all. But, For sure. Um, yeah, that it's trauma is tough. It is. Um, yeah. So. Hmm. Well, I'm sure between you know the next 20 years, you and I are here practicing together. We'll have a handful. We'll figure of them. it out. We'll get it. We'll eventually. get it figured out. Yeah, <laughs> teamwork makes the dream work. Well, hey, thanks for. Uh, I don't know if you had anything else to add, but you know, for hopefully everybody could hear us. So between the cicadas and the leaf blowers and the jamming music, like um, I'll, I'm gonna have to get my studio set up eventually, so we have a, a quieter place to do these. But it was a good discussion. I, it's I don't get to talk about doing endo stuff very often, so it's kind of nice to like dive back into these sometimes. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Hopefully this was helpful. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. So thanks for hopping on. Thanks for listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth. The best way to say thank you is by telling your friends so we can grow the podcast. So be sure to share and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.